Amen and amen. We're studying the subject called spirit, soul, and body. And the, the, the foundation of that, this is, you don't need to turn there, is in Galatians, First Thessalonians, I will be able to speak tonight. First Thessalonians 5, verse 23, which is, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely or entirely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be presented blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been talking about the fact that God, when God made you, he made you with three different parts. And that's a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now, there are people out there that teach that there are only two parts of us, body and soul. Makes a great spiritual song, but it doesn't fit within the scriptures. And let me tell you why that makes sense. I know we've gone over this before. God himself has three different parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Those three parts have three different roles. Since we're made in God's image, it shouldn't be shocking that we would have three parts. The other thing we've looked at is the different parts are, of course, your body is the part we're most familiar with. It's this part of you. That then you have a soul and you have a spirit. We've talked about the fact that the Bible teaches us that there are two different realms of existence. Now, there may be more, but there are only two that the Bible teaches us about. One of those realms of existence is the natural material substance of this earth. And when the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it's talking about this material realm of existence. And that's a realm, that's something that exists that you're any one or more of your five senses can detect. If you can see it, feel it, touch it, hear it, or taste it, then you know that it is of that natural material realm. So your body is of which realm? It's of the material realm because you can do all of those things with it. You can see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, and feel it. Thank you. So you can do all of those five things, but even one of them would qualify it to be of the material realm. Now, we've seen the natural material realm has certain aspects to it or characteristics. First of all, it exists in time. That means it has a beginning and it has an end. During this time, it's decaying. It's under the curse that was released upon this earth when Adam sinned. Everything in this earth is in the process of dying or decaying. If you leave anything alone, it will begin to decay. Saturday with the couples, we went down to, the, to this uh, a cruise around uh, Narragansett Bay, around seeing 10 lighthouses, and it left from Quonset Point. Over in the distance, there's, a, there's a, uh, an, a, a, an air, air museum that has some old uh, uh, airplanes. Some of them are older than others, and they've just been left there. And you can see what's happening to them. They're rusting away. So if you leave something of this material realm alone, it will, be, it will decay. And your body is, in, I don't want to discourage you tonight, but your body's in that process also. If you notice, the longer your body exists, the more work it takes to keep it looking like it used to look. When you're young, you don't have to, you know, you, you can, you know, live, you can eat what you want, do what you want, get out on the basketball court and run around. Next Wednesday, our, our youngest, our twins are coming home, and they're 30 years old this year, and it's funny to hear them talk about getting old. <laughs> you know, Dad, I was out on the basketball court with some young kids, you know, they're 21, 22, and there's this is a wore us out. And it's like, isn't it interesting? You see this beginning to progress, even with your babies, you know, as they hit the age that, you know, we begin to have to work at keeping their body in shape. <clears throat> well, I, you know, I've got to work all the harder. And so, uh, and so do you. And so our body is of a realm that's in the process of dying and decaying. It's limited. 
Not only that, we've learned that when, 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 when Adam sinned in the garden, that his, his, he came under a curse. And that curse affected his body as well, as, and it affects yours and it affects mine. So it's limited by time. It's, it's, it's temporary. It's decaying. And there are a number of other things we looked at. The other realm of existence the Bible teaches is the spirit realm. That's the realm God lives in. And that realm is, does not exist in time. Has no beginning, has no end. And that's hard to, for our minds to, get, to wrap around because everything we've ever known has a beginning and has an end. So we relate to God as if He lives in time. We talk to God as if, you know, we talk about yesterday, we talk about tomorrow. But to God, there is no yesterday or tomorrow. It's all now. Everything's now to God because He does not exist in time. So when, when he looks at your sin, he's also looking at the cross. The cross is, a, is real to him now. It's not a 2,000-year-old memory to God. He sees it now. Now, that's hard for us to grasp, but it is the truth. It is what the Bible teaches us. So, so God exists in the, in, the, in the now. God is always present. That's why he can always be in one place. In, he can be everywhere at the same time. And so, so now what happened is, since you have a spirit and you have a body, they're from two different realms of existence. When we went through the definition of those realms, we saw that those two realms cannot connect with each other. They cannot have contact with each other in the normal, natural course of events. So that creates a problem. My inner nature is of one realm of existence. My bodies have a different realm of existence, and they can't communicate with each other. So to solve that, God gave us a third part called our soul, which is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And our soul that we saw is the bridge or the connection between your spirit being and your flesh. We saw that it's God's will to express himself. Once you're born again, to express himself from your spirit, through your soul, through your body. And so that your soul, your spirit communicates with your mind and your mind then directs your body your body to carry out the will of your spirit that's the way god designed man we saw in the garden then that satan comes in and satan's temptation is to throw this order out of out of throw it out of order so that he tempted the woman to elevate her mind above her spirit and the woman she did that and then in the man did it they fell and they were not able to be in contact with God the way they were able to contact with God before. When you and I were born into this world, we were born in that same condition, spiritual condition, that that man and that woman were once they sinned. And that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, to destroy what that sin brought into the world. Now, he came to die for us. He came so we didn't have, don't have to go to hell. But he also came to redeem us. To redeem means you've been bought back out of something. And what he brought us back out of was that condition. And what he won for us was the ability for God to take his own spirit and birth his spirit or nature in you. So when you come to Christ, God takes his own nature and bursts that nature, births, not bursts, B-U-R-B-I-R-T-H-S. He conceives that nature in you. And so now you have the ability to carry out the will of God where you, before you came to him, you couldn't. Jesus talking to the Pharisees, you know, he didn't mince words. He said, you're of your father, the devil. Now, that's not a compliment. 
And you know, they were very perceptive. They realized it wasn't a compliment because they called him. They said he had a devil. So he said to them, until you, come, until you come to God through me, your father, your spiritual father, is the devil. That doesn't mean you love him or you want to serve him, but you can't help it because your nature is in his control. So it's not shocking that sinners sin. It's their nature. We talked last week about what, we try, what religion tries to do is it tries to change who we are by changing our behavior. So it has a rules. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. And by and large, when you have to regulate people's conduct by rules, you have a whole lot more rules that say don't than rules that say do. Why? Because our flesh is negative. You let it go long, it will do things that will destroy you. And we all know what we're talking about. If you let a child eat what they want to eat, they'll eventually destroy themselves. And if you eat what you just want to eat, and as much as you want to eat, and you do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, you will eventually destroy yourself. And so we talked about the fact that when Jesus came, what he did is he reversed this by, by paying the price so that for someone to come to Christ, he could he paid for their sin, therefore he could now give them his righteousness. We talked about this on Sunday also. And that he could take his spirit and birth that spirit, that nature of God, into you. So when you come to Christ, now you face your flesh from a very different perspective. Before, there was nothing you could do to control your... Oh, you might, you might exercise self-control, but you become proud of the self-control that you exercise. So you'd enter into a spiritual pride instead of just a physical or natural pride. And so, because the Bible says that. You may have thought you were good, but the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what happens, we saw, and we were in, when we ended up last time, we were in, in Romans chapter 6, because we saw that once you come to Christ, you now have God's nature on the inside of you, and that nature gives you the power to overcome and rule your flesh. And the reason most of us don't do that is we don't know we can. Our flesh seems so strong and so powerful that we think we're defeated before we start. And if you think you're defeated before you start, you are. And so you've got to learn to go back to what does the Word of God say about us. And we saw that in Galatians. But so here, what I want to start with tonight, again, is in Galatians chapter 5, verse um, 16. For I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. So there's a war going on inside of you. They're talking to Christians now. There's a war going on between your spirit and your flesh. Now, some translations, like mine is the New King James, you'll see a capital S for spirit. Some translations you'll see a small s. Anybody have a small s in their Bible? And you don't have the right translations because there's some that do. And let me tell you what the difference is. They don't know. There's one Greek word that's translated human, our spirit, and it's the same word that's translated the Spirit of God. And so the, in, the, in the Greek manuscripts, which is where our Bible comes from, there's, there, everything is written in capital letters. 
So there's no capital S in the original Greek. Well, there's a capital S, but, there's, but it, of course it's not an S. It's a, it's a P. It's, for, it's a pi, which is the Greek word for P for pneuma, letter. So it's, but it's, all, it's all capital letters. So if you see a, a picture of a Greek manuscript from which these translations come, everything's uppercase. So the translators had to decide for themselves what, was a, what should be capitalized and what shouldn't. And of course the difference is if it's capitalized, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And if it's not capitalized, it's referring to your spirit. So you've got to look at the context. He's been talking here about, about not fulfilling the lusts of our flesh. And elsewhere he talks about the same thing. So I believe that he's talking here about a war that's going on between your flesh and my flesh and your spirit and my spirit. So he says they're, they're lusting against each other. See, there's, there's really no battle between the Holy Spirit and your flesh. That's a quick battle. I mean, your, your flesh is no match for the Holy Spirit. But your flesh is a match for your spirit when you don't know the authority that your spirit has. The Holy Spirit knows the authority He has. It's we that don't know the authority that our spirit has. So there's a war. And the result is, it says at the end of this verse, so that, so that these things are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So you can't just do what you want to do, what your flesh wants to do. So then we went over to Romans. So turn there with me if you would. We've been talking about the victory that Christ won for us over our flesh. And last week we were in Romans 6. Romans 1, basically through 5, talks about the grace of God. And it ends by, by just uh, talking about the grace and that, that, we, that, that sin shall not reign, so that as sin did not reign in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness. It talks about where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. It talks about the abound, abounding grace of God that more superly abounds than the sin that was released by Adam. I mean, that's a very encouraging chapter to read, as well as 3 and 4 are also. Now it goes over to 6. We talked about this last week. It says, well, what then, you know, then certainly... Uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So if grace, if sin becomes the occasion for God to show how, uh, how much His grace abounds, then let's just sin more because that gives God an occasion to abound in grace even more. And Paul's saying you missed the point of grace. That's called presuming on God's grace. That's not good territory to get into. Because grace is something He gives because He chooses to, not because He has to. If he has to, it's no longer grace, but it becomes an obligation. So Paul says, well, certainly not in verse 2. How should we who died to sin live in it any longer? Or don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized there doesn't mean dunk in water. The word literally means to be immersed in. So as many of us have been joined to Christ, we're joined into his death. So when you came to Christ... You died to who you were. So how come there's still so much of me around? Well, we'll talk about that. 
but your inner man. See, this is another reason why it's so important to understand there are three parts to you and not two. If you're just a soul and a body, what part of you did God make righteous when you came to Christ? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 2, 3, and 4 talked about the righteousness that God's given to us when we chose to have faith in Christ. So you've been given His righteousness. Well, if I'm just a soul, and a, it's not my body that was made righteous, that much I know. We just saw that body is at an enmity against God. So it must be my soul. Have any of you had trouble with your soul since you were born again? Have any of you had thoughts you shouldn't have had? Have any had emotions you shouldn't have had in the last half hour? Well, then how could my soul have been made righteous if I'm still dealing with some of these old thoughts? Because your soul wasn't made righteous. It was your nature that was changed. And your nature, God put His nature in you. And we're going to see that in a little while. God put His nature in you, and that nature begins to produce the character of God. But that character can only come out and be expressed in you and control you as your will allows it to come out. So where most of us are is temptation comes along in whatever form it may be. Whether it's that piece of chocolate cake or whether it's some person at work who bats their eyes at you or says nice kind things at you that your spouse hasn't said in weeks. I have never yet counseled somebody a marriage situation never yet counseled somebody in a, in, a, in a strained marriage where there wasn't somebody else out there beginning to provide what their spouse didn't never in all my years of ministry and they'll sit there and say oh no pastor there's nobody there I said if they're not they're outside your door because they're coming because Satan doesn't change his tactics. He doesn't have to. He's too successful. But understand this. That temptation will come to you the same way it came to Eve. Through her eyes. Through her ears. Through the sense of smell. She smells so good. She looks. He looks. Oh, he looks so understanding. He, it's, listen, if you listen, it's all through their senses. Nothing in here. Oh, they'll tell you. Oh, pastor, I have peace. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, when I first, when I give in and eat that first bite of chocolate cake, oh, there, there's a temporary peace. Why? Because my flesh isn't screaming at me anymore because I gave into it. That's a temporary peace. Oh, it doesn't last long. Because then the regret hits. See, the devil tells you you can't live without it until you bite it. Now he condemns you for having bitten it. Understand this. He's not trying to help you. He's trying to entrap you. 
Sunday morning, we saw in front of us the faces of men that were testimonies of how the devil had entrapped souls. None of them intentionally got into that situation. Every one of them, is that right, Jerome? Every one of them found themselves in that place that they never intended to get into. Why? Because they yielded to a temptation that was bait. The word for offense in Greek that's used in the Bible is a word that literally refers to a stick that was used that they would hold up a box to catch an animal in. You've all seen traps where you put a piece of meat and you put a box up, tilt it on the side, and you'll hold it up with a stick and there's a string tied to the stick and you sneak way back here and hide around and that animal that you're trying to crap comes around and begins to smell the bait and when they get under there and you pull the stick, the trap gets caught. The Greek word for offense refers to that trap. It's a trap. Satan uses our flesh to try to trap us. And if you don't understand the principles we're learning in the study, you will fall for that trap regularly. And in, if you don't even, aren't even aware of it, you'll end up in the trap and not know you've been caught. And then what happens is, is a, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says, we become bitter, and by that, we affect the lives of many other people. It says, be careful of allowing a root of bitterness, because by that, many will become defiled. Why? Because when there's bitterness in our heart, when there's offense in our heart, our mouth can't stay closed. Because we're trying to attract others to agree with us. Because in our heart, we know we're wrong. See, when somebody, a Christian knows they're wrong, they want to gather other Christians around that are wrong so they can agree that what's wrong is right. So people that are offended will, be, will attract other people that are offended. It's like alcoholics attract alcoholics and drug addicts attract drug addicts. Why? Because they play this game that everything's okay. And since we're all agreeing everything's okay, must be okay. But down inside, when you're a Christian, somewhere down inside, there's no peace. Because down inside, your spirit's scratching away, trying to convict and bring conviction. But the problem is, we're so used to letting our flesh rule us. We're so used to thinking what our flesh is telling us is what's real that we have trouble sensing that down in there. Colossians says, let peace rule as the umpire in your heart, in your spirit. Now, it's got to discern. We're just going by the Holy Ghost tonight. You've got to learn to discern between peace in your flesh and peace in your spirit. Peace in your flesh is relief when you give in to your flesh and it backs off for a little while. Peace in your spirit is the peace that passes understanding. 
It's the peace that can go to sleep at night and know, I don't care whether everybody thinks I'm wrong or not. I know in here I'm where I'm supposed to be. And that, the Bible says, we're to use as an umpire. What's an umpire do? He says what's fair and what's foul. He says what's a strike and what's, what's a ball. He says, you know, he says what's a home run and what's an out. He, he, he passes judgment on whether something's one thing or whether something's else. And God has put your spirit, his spirit into you, and he's given you his own spirit to, to, be, to discern right from wrong. But the problem is when we're not used to obeying it, it gets a very faint voice. And you can get to the point where you can't hear it at all. He's in there speaking to you, but your ears have become dull of hearing. The founder of the Bible school we went to, Brother Hagen, told a story when he was a young pastor and he would travel from church to church. He was a traveling minister, after he was a pastor, travel from church to church, and he would stay in a home of somebody in the church. And one time he was staying in a farmer's home and the farmer gets up, you know, before the sun gets up and gets out working. But the, the grandfather was no longer out, you know, working in the fields. So they, he would come down and, and there was coffee on the, on the stove and it was an old wooden stove. No, the stove wasn't wood. They used wood-burning stove, excuse me. And, and the coffee was, was, the thing was open, and literally it was boiling. They just throw the grounds in, throw the water in, and boil it. And then this old gentleman came down, grabbed a cup off of the, off of the, off of the counter, goes over to the pot with the bo- bubbling, pours the coffee into his cup. It's still bubbling, boiling in the cup, and drinks it straight down. Brother Hagen almost, gra- almost died just gasping at it. And he uses that as an example you don't start out doing. If he did it, it would burn all the way down. When I was in uh, law school, I worked one summer in a door factory. And my job was to stack the plywood, the plywood uh, up that was going to go in the doors. And I, I came out of law school with very soft hands that, that summer. The guy I'm working with, you could stick pins in his hands. By the time I came to the end of that summer, my hands were so calloused, I could literally stick pins in them. I mean, I don't mean just, I mean stick them in there, and they would, I wouldn't even feel them. So at the beginning of the summer, if I walked up to my wife and I took her face in my hand and caressed it slowly, so I could feel the contour of her face and she could feel the softness of my hands. But by the end of the summer, if I put my hand on her, I couldn't t- feel any, I didn't feel, all I could feel is the physical contact, but I couldn't feel her skin at all because my hands had become calloused through the way they were used. When you refuse to listen to the voice of your spirit, the spirit doesn't become calloused, but you do. When you can recognize his voice prompting you and you can say no to him, there's a little layer that you're building up. And the next time it becomes easier to say no, you build a little more of a layer up. And the next time it becomes easier, well, I got away with it the first two times, I'll get away with it now because that's kind of how our fleshly mind works. I got away with it. I don't, want to get, I don't want to get in trouble, but I want to get away with as much as I can before I've got to obey, which comes from a total misunderstanding of what God's like. 
what happens is, when, it, when, when is that point when I've said no enough that I can't hear it anymore? That should scare us. Because at that point, I can no longer hear from God. That doesn't mean it's irretrievable because God in His grace finds ways around it. But if we continue to avoid His warning, I don't want to get into this, but there are several places in the New Testament where Paul, talking about somebody that had done that, said, I am forced to turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that their soul may be saved in the day of judgment. What he's saying is they've gotten so far beyond being able to hear the sensitive the Spirit of God, I'm going to have to release them into Satan's grasp. And when he's finished with them, that may wake them up enough. But he said, I'm only doing this with the hope of awakening them so that they will repent and they can come out of this. Serious stuff. But it shows you how far God's will... See, we think, well, God, why would God do that? I thought he's a loving God. That is a loving God. See, we think, see, we have this image of God that whatever happens is God's will and that God's completely in control. But he's not. He put man in control here. He gave the authority on this earth to that man. Then the man turns around and gives that authority to God's enemy. And Jesus, he's referred to as the God of this earth. And he's not just sitting by, watching us bump through life. We saw several weeks ago where he buffeted, buffeted Paul. He kept coming up against Paul, coming up against Paul. Why? To get Paul weary in well-doing so that he would quit. To get Paul to say, it's not worth it. I'm going to give this up. I can't handle this anymore. We saw the apostle Paul was tempted to do that. Why? Because the enemy kept buffeting him. He was trying to get him to the place where he couldn't hear. That's why there's so much noise in your life. We live in a society that's full of noise. I was listening to the radio station last week, and one of the speakers, Ravi Zacharias, talked about the importance of solitude. Learning to be alone. How, ask yourself this time tonight, today. How much quiet time do you have just alone? No radio, no TV, no phone, no computers, no person talking to you, just you and God alone. Because the Spirit is a still, small voice. He doesn't shout at us unless you're in serious trouble. If he shouts, duck. But he'll warn you, he'll prompt you, and it's easy to miss. We're going to talk about learning how to be led by the Spirit. But before we can do that, you've got to be able to recognize who your spirit is and where he is inside of you and why it's so important. Because God, by and large, there are some rare exceptions, but God, by and large, leads you through your spirit. God's method of communicating with you is his spirit 
communicates with your spirit. But that's just the knowledge of God in there. That doesn't do any good. Now your mind has to be trained to discern what your, first of all, to recognize your spirit and then discern what your spirit's saying. Then once your mind begins to discern what your spirit's saying, your will has to decide whether you're going to do it. And I'll leave you, I'll give you this little clue. If your will hasn't decided to do it, it's going to be harder to hear it. You've all had kids or been kids? Anybody here that's never been a child or never had a child? Well, you know what, you know what selective hearing's like? So when you say, I think we'll have some ice cream tonight, all the ears go up. They hear that. But when it's time to clean, we're going to rake leaves tomorrow, or we're going to trim the grass. Wives, you know what that's like too, don't you? <laughs> we were away for a couple of days and we were just talking yesterday. And, and, and <laughs> she said something to me and I didn't hear it. And she said, you know, sometimes it's a good, sometimes it's a good thing you don't hear everything I say because it gives me a second chance to say it. I said, yeah, there's sometimes, I just, sometimes I've used the fact that I don't hear what you say. <laughs> Selective hearing. So if we don't want to do what God says, it's going to be harder to really discern it because we don't want to hear it. Because when we hear it, we now are responsible for doing it. We'll talk more about those things. But the, whole, the Spirit in you, the Bible says, is the candle of the Lord. He's the, it's what God guides you with. His Spirit communicates with your Spirit. The communication from God the Father to God the Spirit is perfect. The communication from God's Spirit to your Spirit is perfect. Nothing's lost. The challenge comes in the 18 inches that goes from your Spirit to your mind. First of all, if you're not aware you have a spirit, you're not even listening. I've learned, and I've not mastered it, but I've learned in the middle of a difficult situation to turn inside and begin to expect inside here to know something to do. When I'm sitting in a, in a, in a counseling situation or something comes up, I had someone sit with me a while ago and just say, you know, and, and something came out and it's like, I had no idea what to do and it was, it was emotionally charged and instead of, because my flesh wanted to react. See, one of the signs that your flesh is you want to protect yourself. You want to defend yourself. You want to strike back. Oh, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Probably the piece you can't afford to lose. Anytime we want to strike back, that's a clue at your flesh. Because the Word of God says not to strike back. The Word of God says not to defend yourself. It says pray for those that are hurting you, and then God will, God will defend you. He can do a much better job of defending you. We don't have time tonight to look at the story of Miriam and Aaron when they, when they came against their brother Moses, and they said, well, you know, yeah, God talks to him because he's a prophet, but so are we. What's so different about us? God speaks to us. Who's he to think he should be our leader? We know as much as he does. See, that spirit was in the church back then also. 
But Moses was humble. Moses didn't defend himself. God got a hold of Moses and said, there's a problem in your family. Come here. And he brought Moses over to the door of the tent where Miriam and his, her brother were working, and God told him to come out. Now, when God starts telling people, God starts presenting your case, you just let him do it. I had a judge do that once, twice. In the middle of my argument, the judge took over my argument for me. Now, that, you know when the judge takes over your argument, you're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> I just learned, let him do it. He's going to do a better job than I am. So God called Moses and Mir called Miriam and Aaron out, and basically says, what's this you're saying against Moses? And says, with you, yes, I speak to you, but I speak to you in a vision, and I speak to you in a dream. But my friend Moses, this is God talking, my friend Moses, I talk to you face to face. Now, Miriam, come here. Because you've done that, you're going to be leprous. Which means she had to be kicked out of the camp. Moses starts pleading with God for the two people who are just bad-mouthing him. God says, because you prayed for him, I'm going to have mercy on him. See, this is the heart of God. And we've been born again, and he's put his heart in us. This is why God says if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn the other. He's not saying you should never defend yourself. He's saying, let me take care of you. Because it's all about self then. It's what they did to me. It's what they said about me. I don't represent me. I represent Him. So I don't care what people think about me. I care what they think about Him. And see, when we begin to have that attitude, then what we find out is then we actually speak for Him. We can't speak for Him if we don't, are not willing to speak His heart. I don't know why I'm off of this tonight, but we are. It's the heart of God. It's our flesh that wants to strike back and defend ourselves. Jesus never defended himself, ever. There are people that may accuse you, and there may be times they're right, but they were never right when they accused him. One of the most compelling verses to me is in John chapter 1. It says, He came unto his own, he was the one that created him. And his own knew him not. Do you realize that he created the men that were driving the nails in his hands? Their life was, came from him and was sustained by him. The very beat of their heart that allowed them to hold up that hammer came from him. And he died so that that sin and others could be forgiven. And he told his disciples, and that's us too, this is my commandment, that you love one another 
as I have loved you. So when we want to get back, strike back, open our mouth and tell them off, know this much, that's not coming out of your spirit. That's coming out of your flesh. Oh, but pastor, it's so strong. I want to do I know it is. But greater is he that's in you than your flesh. And we'll begin to learn how to exercise that authority over our flesh next week.